Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there along with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their outer clothing on them, and he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were selling and buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the experts in the law saw the wonders he performed and heard the children calling out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, Do you, do you hear what they are saying? Yes, Jesus told them. Have you never read from the lips of little children and nursing babies you have prepared praise? He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow reading friends in Christ Jesus, who is our Palm Sunday king. In like a lion and out like a lamb. That's what they say about the month of March, right? As, at least as far as the weather goes, that March typically begins like a wintry beast and supposedly it's supposed to end like a lamb, a mild, docile creature. Judging by the thunderstorms and the tornadoes that hit our region on Friday, I guess March did not get the memo this year. But I digress. We're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about Jesus. We're here to follow him on his march to the cross. And Jesus does a little bit different than the month of March. He flips it around, actually. He enters like a lamb and he exits like a lion. Now, right from the beginning, Jesus entered this world in a very lamb-like fashion, right? A very humble fashion, as, as Paul wrote in Philippians. He took on the nature of a servant. Just consider where he was born. The little town of Bethlehem, not the capital city. He wasn't born in a palace, but in a stable where animals like lambs live. What was his first crib? A manger. Something that farmyard animals like lambs eat out of. His birth was first announced to whom? Shepherds out in their fields by night taking care of their flocks. When 
the mighty King Herod, Herod the Great tried to hunt Jesus down and kill him, what did Mary and Joseph and Jesus have to do? They had to scurry away like scared little lambs down to Egypt to hide out. Everything about Jesus' early life was very lamb-like. But most importantly, the most important lamb-like feature of Jesus' life was when John the Baptist baptized him and then pointed at him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus entered in a very lamb-like fashion. But when he entered Jerusalem, he was anything but lamb-like, wasn't he? Now, before in his ministry, he had often avoided large crowds. He had avoided Jerusalem as much as he could because his time to die on the cross had not come. He, he avoided many people's praise, and, and, and oftentimes when they wanted to exalt him, when they wanted to glorify him or even make him king, he would walk away from them. He would go off into hiding, but he doesn't do that here. Instead, he invites their praises. He accepts them calling him even the son of David, which is not only uh, claiming him as a, as a king, as the rightful heir of King David's throne, but also they're acclaiming him as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. This is what they, they sang to him. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a, a Hebrew word that means, Lord, save us. And it's fitting that he entered Jerusalem as a lion, isn't it? Because lions and kings go hand in hand, don't they? Uh, historically, many kings have worn uh, a lion pelt, you know, kind of as their headdress or their robe, uh, to prove how powerful they are. I'm so powerful I can even take down a, a mighty lion and then wear its skin as a robe. Um, King Solomon famously had a, a throne that was adorned with all kinds of lions. First Kings tells us about his throne. There were six steps to the throne. The throne had a rounded back and armrests on either side of the seat. Two lions were standing beside the armrest, twelve lions on the steps, one on each end of each step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any kingdom. Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a very lion-like king. He accepted their praises. Uh, he, he rode in on, on the colt, a foal of a donkey, on a... Uh, you know, a carpet of palm trees and the people laying down their clothes and we imagine the, the children waving their palm branches. And palm branches might seem like a, a strange thing for us, but that was really the national flag of Israel. It was like if we go out on the 4th of July and wave our, wave our stars and stripes, that's what they were doing. They were waving the national flag, welcoming their king. Jesus entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday in a very lion-like fashion. And he took the place over, didn't he? He walked into the, the, the temple where there was sales going on, where, where there were people buying and selling and exchanging money. And this is, a, this is a necessary thing. This had to happen because the pilgrims who came from, from a distance had to use the money of Jerusalem, the money of the capital city in order to purchase the lambs for their, for their Passover. So this is a necessary thing. But what had begun to happen in the temple is, is what happens all too often whenever there's an exchange of money. 
What happens far too often in our world when money is being exchanged for goods? There's fraud and there's theft. People taking advantage of each other. And so that's, that's one of the reasons that Jesus cleared out the, the money changers, cleared out those who were selling things in the, in the temple courts. But the biggest reason was that the, the leaders of the temple rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't believe in Him, and so essentially they had turned God's temple on earth into a haven of unbelief. I think when Jesus calls it a den of robbers, He's not as much talking about people taking advantage of others financially, but that these Jewish leaders were robbing people of salvation. They were robbing their souls by falsely teaching that Jesus was just an imposter, that He wasn't the Savior of the world, even though He had proved it by so many miracles and by His preaching and His teaching. And then once Jesus did that, once He entered with a roar and and cleared out the temple, what did He do then? Well, He took ownership of it, right? He restored it to what it was supposed to be. Matthew tells us that the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple and He healed them. Now, unlike Matthew's other reports of Jesus' miracles where he talks about how um, if the blind blind person was healed, he went off and he he started to um, preach and teach about Jesus, this man who had had healed his blindness. Or when when Jesus healed the lame, uh, Matthew records how they they jumped up and they they went around the city praising God. But, But we don't have any of those details here. We're just given that bare fact that the blind came to him, the lame came to him, and he healed them. And what's the point of that? The point is that Jesus restored the temple to its original purpose. That people could come into the house of God for the things that they needed the most. Healing and forgiveness and worship and prayer. Like a lion, Jesus was once again ruling his house. Now you may think, and I thought for a long time, that A donkey, a colt, is a very strange means of transportation for someone who's supposed to be a king. And wouldn't you think a a white stallion or a gleaming chariot or these days, uh, what does a president drive around in? Something called the beast, right? That, That huge limo that he drives around in. Wouldn't that be better than a colt? But after doing more study, I realized a colt is a very kingly means of transportation. Uh, First of all, because as we heard in in Zechariah, God prophesied that when he sent his king to Israel to save it, he would ride on a colt. Well, if God says you're going to ride on a colt, I guess that's that's probably the fitting mode of transportation, right? And also, historically, it appears that, that kings did often ride on colts, especially after they had conquered a city or to indicate who was the king, for example, when King David wanted to make it clear to the people that it was Solomon who would be his heir and not Adonijah, he had him ride into Jerusalem on his own donkey, on a colt. So I know that may not sound like a kingly form of transportation, but a donkey is a very kingly form of transportation. Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday like a lion, not like a lamb, like a lion. He takes control of it once more. He takes control of the temple and provides healing and forgiveness and a place of prayer and worship. You know what the irony is, though? It's probably because he entered Jerusalem like a lion 
that he ended up dead by the end of the week. If Jesus had stayed in Bethany, or if he had kind of hid out and and stayed away from the focus of attention, stayed out of the spotlight, he probably could have escaped that week with his life. But he didn't. He entered with a roar. He drew the attention of the chief priests and the elders and the, the teachers of the law. He drew their anger and their frustration and their, their jealousy, right? They, they hated the fact that the people were praising Jesus as their Messiah instead of looking to them as their leaders. And I think about it this way. Um, in just a couple days on Tuesday, will be Wisconsin's spring elections. And the most important election on the ballot this year is who is going to obtain a 10-year reign or a a 10-year rule on the state Supreme Court. And again, if you haven't voted yet, I would encourage you to vote in this year's elections because it is very important who is sitting on that state Supreme Court for our freedom and our rights especially as Christians. But, you know, you've, you've been getting the mailers, right, in your mailbox, and you've seen the ads on TV and, and hearing them on the radio. Do you hear any ads or see any ads smearing or attacking those candidates that have already dropped out or those candidates who lost in the primary? Of course not. They're lambs. They're harmless. But it's lions that you have to watch out for. It's lions that the two candidates who are left, they view each other as and they're attacking each other. And that's how the the Jewish leaders, Jesus' enemies, viewed him. As a lion that needed to be taken down, that needed to be taken out. They wanted him dead. But here's the thing. They got together and they talked about it and and they agreed, we're going to kill him. But not during the Passover festival. Why didn't they want to do it during the Passover festival? Because at the Passover, pilgrims from all over, from Galilee, from Samaria, from all of those places where Jesus had conducted most of his ministry, done most of his healing and his preaching and his teaching, where the people were led to believe in him as their Savior, these people had now come into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. The Jewish leaders weren't dumb. They knew that if they tried to arrest Jesus in public, there could be a riot. Why would they be afraid of a riot? Well, it wasn't for their personal safety. Uh, We know as we go into the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the, the Jewish leaders, they have their own private security force, their own secret service. They're not afraid for their own personal safety. What they are afraid of is that Rome will find out that if there is a riot, These leaders have lost control and they might have to be replaced. That's all that the Jewish leaders were worried about was that Rome might take away their position of power and authority. And they simply could not allow this to happen. But what happened? They arrested and killed Jesus during the Passover. Now who would have thought of such a thing? Who could have imagined that the appropriate time for the Lamb of God to be slaughtered on a cross would be the very same time that thousands of lambs were being slaughtered as as the people of Israel remembered how God had saved them from Egypt? Who would have orchestrated such a magnificent storyline? 
only God, right? Only God would orchestrate the history of the world, the history of, of that Passover that year in Jerusalem, so that his son, the Lamb of God, would be slaughtered at the same time that the people were slaughtering those thousands of lambs. Now, I don't know about you, but to our modern ears and modern sensibilities, doesn't the slaughtering of lambs as a sacrifice seem kind of barbaic and and kind of strange? Even if you go back to the original Passover, you go back to to Egypt to when God brought his people out, and, and with the 10th plague, he said, You need to slaughter lambs and then paint their blood on on your doorposts so that the angel of death will pass over. And I think if I was an Israelite, I would have thought that's very strange. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to slaughter this innocent lamb and paint its blood on our doorposts? Because God had already demonstrated his power over Egypt in the first nine plagues. Why did they have to do this? Why did they have to go through this exercise, this bloodshed? It seems so barbaric. It seems so vicious. And the point of it all was that God was asking them to exercise their faith. It wasn't about going through the motions of slaughtering that lamb and then just painting its blood on the doorpost. God knew who his people were, right? He knew who he was going to spare. But it was for the people's sake. They needed to exercise their faith. This was how they showed that they believed God's warning that there will be a day of death coming. That the angel of death will pass over and and anyone, the firstborn of anyone who hasn't painted blood on their doorposts will be killed. Throughout Egypt there was mourning and wailing as God carried that very thing out. And so they slaughtered these lambs as, as evidence that they believed that warning. They believed the law. But that they also believed the gospel. God's promise that if you do this, if you paint this blood on your doorpost, you, you and your family will be spared. So that's what it was all about for them at that Passover. What is it about for us? How do we exercise our faith? Make no mistake, God knows who we are. But we need to exercise our faith. We need, for our own sakes, to demonstrate that we understand the law. That one day Jesus will return and he will return in judgment and anyone he finds without faith on that day will be condemned to hell forever. We also need to exercise our faith in the gospel promise that whoever has been washed in the blood of the Lamb will be spared on that day of judgment. In other words, We exercise our faith in these days, in these strange days in our world where there are wars going on for for Lord knows what reason in Ukraine where where people have been dying in in weather events it seems like more frequently or maybe we just hear about them more often where where we never know what the economy is going to be like, where inflation has taken a toll on all of our our checkbooks, where where it seems like our country has never been divided more than it is now, where it seems like wickedness and evil and depravity are seeping into every area of our society, from our schools to our our government. It's a very uncertain time in our world. And there are lots of things that we could be worried about. 
that you may want to hear about from a pulpit like this one. But the most important thing for us to focus on right now is on obtaining, uh, obtaining the blood of the Lamb of God, which will shield us from God's wrath on that great day of judgment. How do we obtain that blood? Well, you already have it. You were already washed with it when you were taken to that baptismal font. Jesus' blood was poured over your head in connection with that water and the Word where God adopted you as His child, where, where He didn't paint Jesus' blood on a doorpost, but He painted it on you so that He will identify you as one of His saved children on the last day. You receive it whenever you hear the absolution Picture it like Jesus' blood going in your ears and, and going to your heart to cleanse your heart from all sin and all guilt. And today, it is my distinct honor and privilege once again to give to you, to offer to you Jesus' own blood for the forgiveness of your sins, an honor and a privilege that I will never forget or underestimate how much of a privilege that is. You can receive Jesus' blood every week when you come here to hear His Word, to hear what He went through for you, but especially this week, and maybe a special exercise of our faith this week could be to take two more hours, just two more hours of this week on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday to receive that blood of the Lamb that will shelter you from God's wrath on the great day of judgment. To remember once more what it is, how much Jesus <clears throat> sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. So there's no doubt, we're living in a very uncertain time. We live in a very uncertain world, a very uncertain nation, a very uncertain state, very uncertain weather. Even our church is somewhat uncertain right now, isn't it? Because some guy had to go off and take a call to the icy tundra of North Dakota. But you can be certain of this. In this uncertain world, you can be certain that you have the blood of Jesus which pays for all of your sins, which takes away all of your guilt, which provides protection for you so that when Jesus returns as He will, in judgment, you will be spared, you will be sheltered, and you will be taken to heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem that Palm Sunday like a lion. He took over. He made it clear He was in charge. This was His temple. It was His forgiveness, His healing to give he was going to accept the praises of the people. He cleared out all the filth that was there, and, and we pray that this week he would clear out all the filth that is in our hearts again. And we pray that we see him also as a lamb, the lamb of God who paid for the sins of the world, whose blood was painted not on a doorpost but on a cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Yes, Jesus entered like a lion. He is a Lamb of God who went to that cross willingly for our forgiveness, to pay for our sins with His blood. But now, now He's a lion. He's a lion who broke out of, of that grave, who broke out of that prison of death, and now He lives and He reigns and He's ruling everything, even in this uncertain world, for our good. And in just seven days, we'll be able to shout those Wonderful words. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. All hail King Jesus. Amen.